His favorite thing was to uh, control people with words and threats and without actually hitting them, but scaring them, you know? What kind of things would he, would he say? Well, I'd just demand where you've been and tell you if I brought you into the world, I'll take you out of it, shit like that, right? Threats. And the old man always liked to know everything about everything. Every word that was said to whoever he talked to at school, on the bus, everywhere between the time he seen you last till the time you showed up again. And he didn't demand to know everything. He'd sit there and scream at you and holler until you told him everything. Violent, mean. We've talked about how abusive Miles Nasland was to his wife, but it was going on with his sons, too. There was severe physical violence, like this time Wes ran his truck into the ditch. Got home, told the father what happened. He proceeded to scream at me, and then within um, three sentences of screaming, grabbed me by the neck, drug me outside, picked me up on the, by the neck and the back of the head, and smashed my head into the windshield till he could fit my head through it from the outside in. Because I ran into a ditch. That was just one instance. Lots more. Same shit, different pile, different day. I also interviewed Helen's youngest son, Neil Nasland. He didn't want me to use his voice, but he described his childhood as hell, as prison, as being like growing up in a science lab, part of an experiment to see how much work you could get from people and how much you could mistreat them. He said he was punched in the face by his father for the first time when he was five years old. And he remembered the time his mother tried to leave. He said he remembered her being choked and dragged into the bedroom, then choked again until her skin was blue. Every day was a war, Neil told me. I've been fighting for my life, every day of my life, my entire life. It's important to think about what this does to a person, to a child, to three children. As Neil said, it makes it really hard to have pity on anybody in this life. Remember that when you hear about what happened later, when you hear about the things they did and the decisions they made. Remember that when you hear about how Miles's hulking body ended up crammed into a box and dropped to the bottom of a deep and murky pond. Hold me close into the night While we stay up one last time Never knew we were living in the beautiful world I'm Jana Pruden, and this is In Her Defense from The Globe and Mail. Episode 3, All Hell Breaks Loose.
I'm meaner than he was. You might, you don't think so, but I'm a lot meaner than he was. Colder. You don't grow up getting abused and have remorse. If you know what I mean. That is how that works. I don't be mean, but I am meaner. Don't act like that. Doesn't mean I'm not, though. Just means I can be if I have to be. So if he would point a gun at you because he was irritated at something you said or did, and maybe there were bullets in that gun, maybe there weren't, but you didn't. You, you never knew if he was going to pull the trigger and shoot you or not. But that way, you didn't know. All the time you'd be wondering, is he going to shoot me or not? And some, at one point you just don't give a fuck anymore if he does or not. So it doesn't bother you anymore. Let me tell you a bit more about Wes. At the time he got the call from his brothers that his father was missing, Wes was 26 years old. He was the only one of the three brothers who didn't still live at home with Miles and Helen. Neil left at one point, but moved back to try to protect his mother. Wes left the farm in his teens, as soon as he could. Helen had urged him to go, to save himself. I met Wes one evening in Leduc, a small city just outside Edmonton. Wes is a busy man. He and his common-law wife have six kids, and he works as much as he possibly can. Sometimes he goes months without a day off. Here's how Wes describes growing up. Go to school, work, eat supper, 10 o'clock, one meal a day. Maybe have a sandwich and your lunch if you want. But there's no supper at six o'clock. There's no breakfast in the morning. It's get to wake up at seven in the morning, get on the bus, get off the bus at five o'clock, go outside and do chores and farm shit until 10 o'clock or later, sometimes midnight, one o'clock in the morning. As you get older and 12, 13, 14 years old, then you're expected to work all night and not go to school and work all day. Hence why now I only sleep three or four hours a night and I'm a workaholic and I love working. Because that's all I do. Well, not all. He also really likes to drink. How much can you drink in a shot, hard liquor? <laughs> not very much. <laughs> I'll sit down with you 40 and we'll throw the caps away. One for you, one for me. A 40 for each of one of us and I'll, we'll throw both caps away. Mine will be dry when I stand up. Yeah, some constitution you've got there. You want to hear about constitution? What do you think that is? At this point in the conversation, Wes stood up and showed me an enormous bulge in his pants. It was a bit of a weird moment. I'm not that well endowed. <laughs> I have no idea. That is what a bilateral hernia surgery looks like when it ruptures through your muscles of your gut. Oh, God. And fills your scrotum with your intestine. Oh, God. 
That's how big it is now. Wes. That's been 11 years. Miles didn't cause this injury, but I think it is part of the way he had them all living, enduring great pain without seeking help from outside. As you can imagine, this is really painful for Wes, but he's never gotten another surgery to fix it because he doesn't like doctors. I don't like dentists either. <laughs> I'll pull my own damn teeth. If I know which tooth is a problem, I pair of vice grips it. I'll snap it off, pull it out, whatever I need. He also doesn't like police, lawyers, or people like me. Because there's been many, many reporters that I have told to turn around, find whatever hole you heard about me in, and crawl back into the dark, deep fucking place. In other words, I'm not telling you shit to fuck right off. Yeah. Mom asked me to talk to you, so I talked to you. Wes doesn't like people who ask too many questions, and he doesn't trust people who supposedly want to help. Life with Miles taught them all to be on guard, to be always watching for tricks and traps. So when Wes got that phone call from his brothers, he didn't trust it. Hung up the phone going, huh. That's weird. Didn't expect that. I don't know. Something fucked up going. Then, I'm a family member. You know what I mean? You don't live that life and then hear that and go, oh my God, he killed himself. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, killed himself, huh? Jeez. Oh shit, I mean, that, that's too bad. Somebody's listening probably, huh? Yeah, geez. Well, do you need help looking for him? Yeah, he probably didn't kill himself, but I don't care to know what did happen. So, he killed himself. That'll work. Which is just fine by me. Because it wasn't too long before that where I stood in Holden Hotel in the middle of the bar full of people with a 7 mil ram mag locked and loaded with one in the chamber pointed about four inches from his fucking forehead telling him either you do it or I'm going to. Again, you probably rather I didn't like him very much. Me and him didn't have a talking loving relationship, put it that way. You wanted to kill him? Well, why wouldn't I? Of course I wanted to kill him. I dreamt about the day when I finally got to put one in his head. When I had enough and done it. This sounds like you were, you were pretty close. You had a gun to his head. Well, I could have shot him. I could have shot him a lot of times. I could have taken all those trucks when it used to drag me along to the bar, coerced me to go into the holding with them. I could have taken that truck and I could have drove it into any number of them power poles, any number of one of those approaches, and put him right through the fucking windshield. I could have killed him any number of a thousand fucking times a year, if I really wanted to. 
Why didn't you? Didn't make me mad enough yet. I guess what I'm asking is, was there a point when you understood that your mother had shot your father? Oh, yeah. It doesn't take long. I'm not stupid. Everybody knows, but... What did you think about that? What, that he was dead? That she had shot him? Good job, Ma! Want a drink? Let's go get drunk. Congratulations. Very happy. She doesn't seem like she felt happy about it at the time. She seems like she was quite upset. When you get abused in that sense, you don't have an emotion that is actually a real emotion of your own. Stop getting abused and tortured mentally and physically on a daily basis after maybe a decade. Maybe you can think that one of the feelings that you feel you, that you're feeling right then is actually a real feeling. Look at me. I have no problem with the thought of killing human beings. Yet it tears the fucking hell out of me to have to shoot a horse. I'll be drunk for three fucking days if I have to shoot a horse. But if I went to war, I could kill a thousand goddamn people an hour and it wouldn't bother me a fucking bit. Mental abuse and torture and shit changes your brain. Even the dog that gets abused still loves the person that abuses it. Still come back to it. They don't know no different. Same thing with people. You grow up getting abused, you spend your whole life getting abused. Tortured mentally, physically, beaten, fucking smacked around, belts, threats, all the rest of it. And it just kind of changes how you perceive shit. And when you're being treated that way, you don't have rational feelings that are accurate. For all you fucking know, sadness could be love and love could be anger and anger could be fucking hate. You, you, you have no clue. It's like you're colorblind for feelings. Wes wasn't at the farm when Miles got shot. There's no doubt about that. But after that phone call, he did get involved. Oh, I don't know. What do you mean by involved? My understanding is... You helped. Getting rid of things? Not bodies. Just like I told the cops, I never seen a dead body the whole time. But disposing of the of the car? Oh yeah, a buried car. Since when was that illegal though? <laughs> it's true. Hmm. I didn't find no laws in Google that said it was illegal to bury your family member's car with their knowledge. It wasn't reported stolen. I didn't steal it.
The family reported Miles missing the next day, September 6, 2011. Helen and her sons repeated the story they'd initially given to Wes. Miles left in the afternoon in his gold Chevy Cavalier, going to cut hay on some land they rented. They said he took his gun, but left his wallet. I asked the RCMP for the missing persons report that was filed, or audio of the call to police, but they wouldn't give it to me. We do have a transcript of Daryl Naslin's follow-up statement to a police officer in the fall of 2012, a full year after Miles disappeared. The circumstances the family described clearly hint at suicide. But Daryl gave the police another potential lead. He told them about that time Miles got assaulted at Lawrence and Patty's bar in Holden, and what he called the gang from the city that had beaten Miles up. Daryl gave the guys' names to the police and said Miles had often talked about getting even with them, sowing the idea they could have been involved in his disappearance. As Daryl told the police, I would point the finger straight at those guys that tried to kill him the first time. The RCMP refused my repeated requests for interviews about this case, so we don't know much about their efforts to find Miles. What we do know is that no one I talked to around Holden really seemed to care he was gone. Like Corlene. Did you care? No, I thought it was the best thing on earth for her. It's about time she could live her own life. And Sharon. You know what? I, I don't... I don't think I really thought about it much. When he went missing, I knew he wasn't missing. I didn't know what had happened, but he wasn't missing because he wouldn't have done that. There's no control in walking away. Um, and so I, I honestly did not know how bad it was, or I, I guess I never even gave it much thought until she was arrested. I also went to see Guy Turnbull, Helen's boss at A1 Rentals. He's an important guy in Camrose. It feels like he owns or is connected to every second business in town. His phone is always ringing. He bought some of Miles and Helen's land, and he keeps some of his own Longhorn cattle there now. He is a good and loyal friend to Helen, and he knew her as well as anybody in those days. He wasn't buying the story either. I remember that uh, she didn't come in to work and uh, said that Miles had went, uh, he went out haying and the boys and her went to town, which I knew doesn't happen, but okay, that's your story, so we'll listen to that. So in about, oh, I don't know, how many days after and she came back to work, and of course, Miles has gone missing, the car has gone, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. So, you know, went on for six years before she was arrested, I believe, somewhere in that neighborhood. Did you, um, did you have any thoughts on that, oh, on yeah. that oh, story? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what did you think? Oh, I, I definitely, I knew there was something happened. I, right. But he always threatened. He was going to go drive to McMurray, and, and he was always threatening to kill himself, okay? And he always told people, even workers, that he knows a spot where he can just drive into the muskeg and the vehicle will be gone, he'll be gone. So that was kind of my mind, did that happen, right? Because mm -hmm. the vehicle's gone, you know, ta-da, ta-da. 
you know, yeah, I, I, I had it in my mind that something was like had what did happen, like did happen, but couldn't believe that it happened, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because Helen was not that type of person, okay? Like she was the most forgiving, hardworking, thoughtful, give you the shirt off her back, uh, you know. I can't, I can't even imagine what it would it take to pressure her into to finally do something, right? Like so many other people in Helen's life, he suspected something from the start, but he wasn't asking too many questions. And then a couple years later, a rumor started going around that Miles's body had been found outside town. Guy told Helen. Well, I so I shared that with her and her face. She said, that fucking isn't possible, you know, like like this, right? Well, no, because she knew exactly where he was, right? And that's, that's the first time I really seen in her face, this, you know, you know, she knew where he was. And but, you, you saw that and you understood that yeah. at that moment? Oh, yeah. I knew that, like, but I never said nothing to anybody, right? Like, I kept that, my, my wife, I never said a word to her about it because... Just the way I am, I won't say start rumors or say anything bad things about people, or 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 whatever. Because what's it going to gain? Whatever she did, she did. Or whatever happened, happened. We don't know that. We didn't know that till, because I did not know till. The only thing I did know, she was running my Wetaskiwin store when all this happened, and my backhoe went to the farm. One of my because I have a rental company, A One Rentals, and it's out of the farm. What do you need, you need my back for? Oh, you've got sewer problems. Well, that's when they dug the They dug, used my hoe to dig the, bury the car. But that's all after the fact you figure all this out, right? For six years, Helen and her sons lived with the secret of what really happened to Miles. At the time, after it happened, did you... Th- did you think about what would happen if you just called the RCMP and said, I did this, I've been abused for the past 30 years or more? I, I thought about it. Like, I, I think deep down, I, I knew that was the... Like, of course, I was just in a state of shock, but deep down, I knew that was the right thing to do. But then again, I was... Uh, back in that position of a of great fear, like it was, are they gonna believe me? And I, I've, been in, I, I've been a prisoner in my own home in a life of hell for how long? I really don't wanna go to prison for the rest of my life. I've been there, I just come out of it. She thought she'd been hiding the abuse. And she didn't think the police would believe her. I mean, it's just kind of my word. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wasn't there to have another word, but I mean, there was, it's not like there was repeated calls of the police being called for violence or trips to the hospital. I, I didn't go, I covered up everything. It was always an excuse, a reason. Other than that, like nobody, nobody had any proof of knowing what went on. So 
how are the police, you know, how could I ever, I didn't think I'd ever be able to convince the police. It was an easier life, but still not an easy one. Guilt and worry nagged at Helen. She had nightmares about Miles shooting the kids and then turning the gun on her. Even when she was awake, it sometimes felt like Miles was still there. It's almost like I felt I was being haunted by him. He was still watching me, and I I don't know. uh, It was really difficult. When Helen felt bad, she tried to tell herself if it hadn't been Miles who died, it could have been three or four people dead. It was a relief that the boys were safe and that they were moving on. Wes had kids, but Neil had never been allowed to have a relationship or a job, and now he had a girlfriend and a baby. What was it like to have, even if you were dealing with these emotions about what had happened, but to to suddenly have freedom um, and, and to not be fearing that kind of, fearing him inside your home? What was that like? It was weird. Like, it was... But it was hard to get used to, but at the same time, it was... Like there was this huge weight that had been lifted. Like a door opened. But Helen hated lying to the people she cared about. She was drinking a lot, and sometimes she'd get angry at the RCMP for not trying harder to find Miles. She even filed a complaint against them. I'm not sure why she did that, except that maybe she wanted the truth to come out. Maybe it's not nice to say this, but it was... It's almost like nobody cared. Like, it's like a missing person that nobody missed. Helen got a horse and started racing with Corlene again, and there were some good times. But even though Miles was gone, she still wasn't free. Helen kept busy, working six days a week at A1 Rentals, rodeoing with Corlene spending time with her horses and her dogs and two new kittens she named Star and Jewel. So you're in a, a, good, a good, happy, safe place at that point. Mm-hmm. And then? Yeah, then all hell broke loose again. It's like the, the can opened up. On a hot day in September 2017, Helen looked up from her work at A1 and saw two men walking toward her. So we had the back door of the building was open where I was working and happened to be at the back because we just had a shipment come in of something and I was looking for something for a customer in the order. And these two strangers come walking up. They had no idea at that time who they were until they just more or less pushed me aside and showed their badges and the first thought that came to my mind was what the Daryl do now, what the Daryl get into now. I mean it's not a not a secret that he was involved with drugs and with the wrong people. So I just my first assumption that come to mind was Something had happened to him or he'd done something again that he was in trouble for and they were looking for him. 
I think I come right out and asked him. I said, what did Daryl do? Are you looking for Daryl or what's what happened? And they wouldn't tell me a, an answer. They just kind of brushed me off with, you need to come to the car so we can go over some information. And at that, yeah, I, they wanted me to get in the car, but I wouldn't. I, I sat down in there, but I would not close the door. I left one foot out. I was just, I was, par- I was just terrified. I was paranoid. I was, it's like, are you kidding me? I am not getting in this car and just closing the door with you. Like, what the hell's going on? I, I still, at that point, had no idea what they were ta- what was happening. But this time, it wasn't about Daryl. It was about Miles. On the next episode of In Her Defense. I think you did what you had to do because it was necessary. It was an escape. The suffering had to end. You have given me zero, no indication that being a physically abused person or battered wife is the issue here. Zero. Well, you can't charge two people with murder. Yeah, we can. I won't let them take the blame. In Her Defense is made by Kasia Mihailovich and me, Jana Pruden. Amber Bracken did our field recording. Take another look at our show art. I think it's so powerful. It's by Catherine Lam with art direction by Ming Wang. The silhouette is inspired by a picture of Helen with the actual barn from the Nasland farm. Angela Pichenza is our executive editor. Special thanks to head of visual journalism, Matt Frainer and head of editing, Ian Bokoff. Our theme song is The Fighter by Jen Grant. Arrangements by David Crosby. In Her Defense is recorded at McEwen University by Sheena Rossiter, Emily Rubiita, and Sasha Stanoyevich. David Crosby mixed this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show so far. You can email me at jprudeen at globeandmail.com. To learn more about this podcast and domestic violence in Canada, go to tgam.ca slash inherdefense. That's defense with a C. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter where I'll send you photos, behind-the-scenes content, and updates. If you're experiencing domestic violence and want to talk to someone, you can find resources and your nearest shelter at sheltersafe.ca. To support our journalism, consider subscribing to The Globe and Mail. Our listeners get a special discount on new subscriptions at www.globeandmail.com slash podcast deal. Take care and thank you for listening.